Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tates Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. Our New Testament reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. The word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Open our eyes to see wonderful truths from your word. Open our hearts to receive those truths. Open our wills to respond to those truths. Would you take this, the spoken word, and lead us to the living word who alone can change us? Or give us the faith that we see in this woman. And help us to see you as the gracious Savior we see in this passage. We ask this in your name alone, Jesus. Amen. We continue our theme that we kind of stumbled upon um, of discussing the more unconventional miracles during this unconventional time. This one comes at a request. Someone um, once asked me um, about this one in particular because uh, it has always confused her, and it's not hard to understand why. Jesus speaks in the passage in a way that we are not used to hearing Him speak. In fact, He sounds downright mean on the surface. Well, there is a reason for His actions, and we will get to that. But this story, though seemingly harsh, is actually strikingly beautiful. And what's beautiful is this woman. Of course, Jesus is the hero of every story in Scripture. But this one pushes the boundaries. This story is less about Jesus and His ability to heal and much more about what we see modeled in this woman. 
I'm not going to say that she is the hero of the story. That would take it too far. But what I am going to say is that the story lifts her up as our model, our role model, which is striking because she is the lowliest of the lowly that Jesus meets in the gospel. And her status is emphasized by Jesus himself treating her that way. Again, we'll explain that in a moment. But the harshest words that we hear from Jesus in all the gospels turn into the most commending words that we hear from Jesus in all the gospels. The one we are tempted to look down upon becomes the one Jesus demands we look up to. So yes, we are here today to celebrate Jesus like we always are. But we are here today as well to learn from this woman, the last person we would expect to learn from. And what we see in her are two foundational truths that are the model of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. First, she understands herself. Second, she understands her Savior. Let's look at each. First is this understanding of herself. Verse 21, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Now this is meant to set up a contrast. Jesus has been arguing with the Pharisees, the most religious people of the day. And, and what's key to understanding this strange passage is that the Pharisees are always trying to debate and argue with Jesus, but they never, ever can win. They always lose the debate. Well, now he has entered into the most notoriously pagan region of the day. Tyre and Sidon was looked upon as the worst of the worst when it comes to uh, Gentile filth. And the first thing that happens here is somewhat of a debate with this woman who represents the antithesis of the Pharisee. So let's watch it unfold. And behold, a Canaanite woman, a Syrophoenician woman, to be uh, specific, which is the worst of the worst. Um, a Canaanite woman from that region uh, came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. Now you know this is very unlike our Savior to just ignore a plea for mercy. But what is unconventional to us was conventional in that context. A Jewish rabbi was to ignore a Gentile like this. It would be beneath him to even acknowledge her. In other words, he's doing exactly what was customary in that day. And in so doing, he is setting um, everyone up for his lesson. His disciples came, begging him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. So the disciples are asking for a healing, but it's a token healing. Um, not out of compassion, but out of inconvenience. Basically saying, Could you just give her what she wants? She's driving us crazy. 24, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Again, this is customary Jewish thinking, that the Messiah was only for Israel to save Israel and triumph over pagan Gentiles. Verse 25, But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, this is tough to read from Jesus, isn't it? 
it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Okay, now this is getting really out of control. Never would we imagine Jesus talking like this to this poor woman pleading for his mercy. What's he doing? Again, he's doing exactly what they, meaning the religious of the day, wanted him to do. The Jewish expectation was that the Messiah, their hero, their champion, would come and triumph over all the filthy dogs. Dogs was their favorite term to use for Gentiles. Would triumph over the dogs and give his children, the nation of Israel, their rightful place as rulers of the earth. Well, when Jesus comes and claims to be the Messiah, he is rejected by his own people, particularly um, the Jewish leadership. Why is that? Because he is not the Messiah they expected or wanted. There is only one instance, one moment, one sentence where Jesus acts like the Messiah they all wanted. And it's this verse we have before us. If he would have acted like this all the time, the Pharisees would have loved him. The Jewish establishment would have embraced him. And so, after debating the Pharisees, he goes and acts like a Pharisee. No, I'm not going to heal your daughter. That would be like giving bread that is meant for my children, the children of Israel, the ones I really care about. It, it would be like me giving what I, came, what I have to provide to dogs. This is not for you, dog. This is for Israel. What is he doing? This is not the Jesus we know and love. Well, what he's doing is he's setting her up. He wants everybody to learn, not from the religious Pharisees, but the pagan female Gentile. He wants them to watch her respond to the stereotypical religious language in order to show them and us what true religion looks like. How will she respond? Amazingly, she owns it. Verse 27, yes, Lord. Is that not incredible? In contrast to the Pharisees who get so defensive and indignant at his challenges, she just courageously admits it's true. You're right. Compared to you, I'm like a dog at your feet, and you shouldn't give me anything. In fact, I shouldn't be here asking for anything. In fact, I just shouldn't be here. You're right. In other words, she understands herself. Unlike the Pharisees' religion, or any religion for that matter, which says, because of my credentials... I ask of God. This woman, as the antithesis of religion, admits she has no credentials. It is not right to give bread to dogs, and she actually says, I know, yes, Lord. I have no credentials to bring to you. I have no right to ask of you. I have no business even approaching you. Indeed, Lord, I am like a dog at your feet. But now notice what she does next, and this is so important. She doesn't just stay there wallowing in who she is. 
you're right, I'm a dog, I'm so sorry to bother you, what was I thinking, woe is me, I'm pathetic. No, instead, her understanding of who she is gives way to her understanding of who Jesus is. This, that is to say, she knows herself, but she also knows her Savior. And that's when things get really interesting. So let's go there. She understands herself, but next she understands her Savior. Continue on. Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Do you understand what she just did? This story is fascinating, truly unlike any encounter in all the Gospels. She literally just entered into the parable and one-upped the Lord Jesus. Remember, Jesus has been debating the Pharisees, right? And they stood no chance against him. Jesus leaves everyone speechless, even his disciples. And here is this woman who in the eyes of the culture is the worst person that Jesus will encounter. And not only does she comprehend her, his parable, which so many couldn't understand his parables, not only does she comprehend his parable, she expounds upon it to make her own case. I'll see your parable and I'll raise you one of my own, Jesus. While it's true dogs don't deserve your bread, don't forget that even dogs underneath the table get to eat the crumbs. It's brilliant. She's brilliant. In that little statement, she is saying two things to Jesus. First, she believes that Jesus' bounty is so lavish and abundant that it can overflow and reach a dog like her. His provision is so plentiful that it spills over to feed the most unlikely and the most undeserving. Essentially, she's saying to Jesus, are you not abounding in steadfast love and mercy? Is there a limit to your bread? Is not your kindness and favor extravagant? Is not your love for sinners excessive? She is saying, I know you. And I know what you're like, and I know there is room for even someone like me underneath the table of your favor. Secondly, she believes that even a crumb from Jesus is all that she needs. I don't need to be at the table, Lord. All I need is a crumb. Just give me one of your crumbs, Jesus, because I know a crumb from you is enough for me. A taste of your mercy, a morsel of your favor, the scraps of your grace is more than enough. So do you see what she has done? She has turned the parable around on Jesus. She is saying, your estimation of me is correct. Now, is my estimation of you correct? What your parable says about me is true. Now, is what my parable says about you true? He put her to the test. And now she's putting him to the test. I've heard about you, Jesus. I've heard that you touched the leprous and befriend tax collectors. I've heard that you've been scolding the Pharisees for their self-righteousness. I've heard that you have come to seek and to save that which is lost. I've heard that you have come not for the righteous, but for the sinners. Well, here I am. 
the worst of the worst, a filthy, unclean, pagan, Gentile sinner. Let's see how good you are. Let's see if you are as good as you claim to be. And you know what? She wins. Jesus is caught by his own parable. Is that not amazing? Jesus doesn't lose arguments, but he lost this one. And the point, of course, is this is one he is glad to lose. The only time Jesus loses the argument is the only time he's acting like a Pharisee, which is the entire point of the story. He acts like a Pharisee, but is happy when she demands he acts like a Savior. Verse 28, then Jesus answered him, O oh, woman. A translation that fits our vernacular here would be, O oh, my woman, how great is your faith. He is stunned. He is taken back by this woman. Nowhere else does Jesus commend someone like this. He loves what she just did. He loves it when sinners are so bold to hold him to his promises, when we shamefully admit what is true of ourselves, yet shamelessly claim what is true of him. He loves it when sinners come boldly to his throne of grace, not because they are confident in who they are, but because they are so confident in who he is. And that's what this woman has done. She gets it. More than anything else, more than anyone else, this woman gets it. Which is such a Jesus thing to do, is it not? None, not, the, not the Pharisees or scribes, not the educated and wealthy, not the powerful, the popular, the elite, not even his disciples. These are not chosen as his model. Instead, the lowliest of people in the Gospels becomes our model of faith. So let's learn from her, shall we? That's why we are given this story, to learn from her. And what we see in her is, again, the perfect balance of right estimation of herself and right estimation of her Savior. Now, some of us need to learn point one. Some of us need to learn from the way that she views herself. How do you view yourself? That's uh, maybe difficult for you to discern, but I'll tell you, um, um, I'll tell you that how you truly view yourself comes out when you are confronted, like our woman is in this passage, which is why Jesus did it that way. How do you respond when confronted by your flaws? Are you defensive? Are you angry? Are you always misunderstood? Are you, or are you like this woman who didn't shy away from the truth about herself, who willingly owned it, even extreme language like a dog? Yes, Lord, you're right. Or are you like the Apostle Paul, who at the end of his life, not the beginning of his life, the end of his life, declared himself to be the chief of sinners? Is this you, or are you just defensive? May the prideful among us learn from this woman. She didn't hide behind self-constructed masks. 
She didn't argue her case. She didn't make excuses. She didn't, she didn't point out the flaws in everyone else and compare herself to others. Instead, she just told the truth. She owned the truth about herself. Now, some of you would say to me, I've got no problem with that. In fact, it's what I do best. All day long, I dwell on my failures and my perpetual self-loathing. Perhaps like this woman in our passage, you have spent your whole life being treated like a dog, and now it's all you know. It's the only way you know to view yourself. You literally hate yourself. Well, you need to learn from this woman's view of her Savior. Look at her confidence before the Lord. Some would even call this impudence. How can someone with such a low view of herself be so brazen with the Lord? She has such a high view of Jesus. She has more confidence in His abilities as a Savior than her abilities as a failure. She knows how bad she is, but she knows how good He is. And she believes with all her heart that His goodness exceeds her badness. She is saying, because of who I am, I should never ask anything of you, but because of who you are, here I am to ask. So all self-condemning, self-loathing souls, you need to put Jesus to the test like she did that day. Say it to Him. Hold Him to His promises. Jesus, you said that you came for sinners. Well, I'm holding you to it. Here I am, the worst of the worst, the lowest of the lowest, destroyed by sin. My sins and the ways that I have been sinned against, it's just a mess. But you have promised grace. And I know you cannot lie, so you must have me. You have declared yourself to be abounding in steadfast love and mercy. Well, here I am for that love and mercy, and you have to give it to me. Or if you're not prepared to be so audacious with Jesus, then be honest with Jesus. He can handle that. Tell him you don't think he's good enough for someone as bad as you. Tell him his blood isn't powerful enough for sins like yours. Tell him your failures are stronger than his promises. Tell him your trauma is greater than his healing. Go ahead and say it to him. And I think his spirit will help you see how silly you sound. The prideful among us need this woman's estimation of herself. The despairing among us need this woman's estimation of her Savior. She is the antidote to both pride and despair. Which is why Jesus commends her to us. And thank God that this is so. What if Jesus promoted the Pharisee? What if after one of the, these encounters with the Pharisees, Jesus said, Oh my Pharisee, how great is your faith. That's what every other religion promotes. The most religious, the most disciplined, the most moral, the most devout. These are the ones that religion rewards. And do you know what that does? The opposite effect. It doesn't undo pride and despair. It promotes them. 
pride because maybe you are one of the ones who's actually strong, disciplined, zealous enough to pull off the religious thing. Or despair because you're like most of us and you can't pull it off. But friend, the Pharisee is not our role model, this woman is. Isn't that freeing and amazing that Jesus holds this up of what faith looks like? If this is what Jesus wants from us, then it requires two things. I have to admit I'm a mess, and I have to believe that Jesus is stronger than the mess. I can do that. That's something I can pull off. By the way, if you're watching in as um, someone checking out Christianity, you do have to admit this is oh so compelling when it comes to uh, religious claims. And you may have stumbled upon the greatest news you have ever heard. Fundamentally, Christianity asks two things of you. Can, can you own who you truly are and can you embrace who Jesus truly is? To all of us, I want to close by asking all of us two questions. And I don't mean that rhetorically, by the way. I mean I want you to actually answer them out loud wherever you are. If you are a member of TCPC, you have already answered uh, these questions before um, because everyone who becomes a member in a PCA church answers these questions. And I thought of them because they are uh, what is modeled in this woman. They are the proper balance of knowledge of self and knowledge of Jesus. And they're two, the first two questions we ask every member. So question one is the first point of my sermon. Question two is the second point. I'm going to ask them, and I actually want you to respond, maybe for the first time. Do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving His displeasure and without hope, save in His sovereign mercy, do you? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation as He has offered to you in His gospel? Do you? Now, let's go live those out. If you answered question one in the affirmative, you have zero reason to be prideful. If you answer question two in the affirmative, you have zero reason to despair. Let me pray. Give us this balance, O oh God. Yes, a true estimation um, that in comparison to your glory and your holiness, it is true we are, we are like dogs at your feet. But Lord, in view of your mercy, in view of your grace, in view of your gospel, in view of your promise, in view of who you are, which is love, we are audacious to claim your promises and hold you to them, which you love us to do. And so may we go forth, Lord, with this proper balance. Let there be no room for pride and let there be no room for despair. In Jesus' name, amen.